It's Wednesday, June 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, Andy Cross in the flesh. Thanks for being here. Hey, Chris. It's always a pleasure. Um, there is a big deal going on in the prepared foods world, and we're going to get to that deal in yep. a second. But I was uh, I was looking through my notes and and noticed that uh, the last two Wednesday episodes of Market Foolery started with us talking about the whole Disney Fox Comcast thing, and I kind of feel compelled to start there again because there is more news, and I wanted to get your take on this. And this, and it's the report in the Wall Street Journal that Comcast, and this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone nope. who's watching this, Comcast is looking to shore up cash because they want to make a bid to top Disney's seventy-one billion dollar bid. So that's not surprising. The number that got floated in this article that they may be looking for as much as ninety billion dollars. Yep. I mean, it's big money, man. I, but if you that get high, it, yeah. I, you I, think it's going to go that high? Well, I tell you, what, um, uh, boy, it would make Comcast one of the most levered companies in the United States. So, um, not that they don't have the cash flow to be able to um, pay for the debt, but it would seriously. I mean, Moody's has already come out, come out and said that that would put a that would put a significant um, ding into the Comcast balance sheet. So, whether they can line that up or not, it really just goes to show you. And we've talked about this um, over the over really since the end of last year during this entire saga. The value that these two companies are placing on the assets of of Rupert Murdoch and 20th Century Fox, and what that may mean to both these companies, um, especially to Disney, who is really hungry to get this these assets. Um, this is not a surprise to me. In fact, um, I mean, just knowing the kind of deal maker Rupert Murdoch is, like he's going to take a take a, the highest bid he can get, or at least try to push as far as he can go. It seems like right now Disney has the slight upper hand in my mind, and whether Comcast can pull this off, their 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 sixty five billion dollar offer was an all cash offer, so that that there is some nice um, benefits to that for for um, for him, his family, and and shareholders of which Disney is a major shareholder of 20th Century Fox already. But still, as you and I were talking about earlier, they Disney really wants these assets. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Comcast can pull this off. There was an, you know another big winner from this this deal um, and all of these um, negotiations. Chris is um, there was an article in the Financial Times. Today about Goldman Sachs bringing in more than a hundred million dollars from helping negotiate this deal. So I mean, the bankers are just licking their chops at these numbers getting tossed around at ninety billion dollars. I'm glad something finally went right for <laughs> Goldman Sachs. <laughs> they deserve it, right? They deserve it. Come on, nothing can go wrong they're with the, those guys. They're the true heroes. Yeah, in true all of heroes, this. right? Uh, so if we're if we're looking for sort of uh, time uh, to sort of get a handle on the timeline here, there was um, a joint. A meeting yep. that was scheduled for July 10th, a joint between Disney and Fox, um, that has been postponed yep. indefinitely. So, if you're Comcast, you're happy about that because that essentially buys you more time to shore up these assets. I, I mean, I, I am curious to know what Brian Roberts and his team at Comcast are thinking. If they are thinking, let's get the biggest offer we can right now and yep. And try and end this, yep. and force Disney to go higher than ninety billion. Or if they think, well, no, let's let's leave ourselves room for one more deal because right now, if the bidding starts at seventy-one and a half billion, they add a number. Sure, exactly. They may be thinking, okay, let's come in at eighty. Yep. 
knowing that if we need to push push it up to ninety, we can. I mean, Disney started at this um, la- at the end of last year around fifty two million. Yeah, it went billion. to sixty. Bi- I'm sorry, thank you. Sixty uh, fifty two billion went to sixty five billion with Comcast. Now they pushed it up to north of seventy one billion. The number, as you mentioned, that Comcast or or that lease has been kind of mentioned out there could be as high as ninety billion, which is north of fifty dollars a share for that those assets. Uh, um, whether Comcast can actually uh, arrange that and whether it's private equity, other financing, like I said, it does make them extre- extremely levered, and, and, and even partners might be a little bit leery around that. Also interesting, I mean, Bob Iger, or both Bob Iger and, um, and uh, Roberts from Comcast um, certainly have been piecing together their empires over the years. So this is this is not a new thing. This would both this would be a huge chunk for both those those companies. But still, they are they are empire builders. Um, Brian Roberts is is a, a huge shareholder in Comcast, having his family started. So like, you know, trying to really solidify this empire for them, I think, is important for both these people. Um, Putting together partnerships on whether that could work or not. I mean, Disney has not necessarily said that that they would be open for that. Bob Roberts, uh, Brian Roberts might be more interested in maybe partnering with someone to do something like that. So that could be a potential. But you're talking going from 71 billion up to north of 90 billion, whether it's 80 billion, something is going to. He, he, I can. He is itching to get something on the table to compete with Disney. He does not want to lose the access to these assets, or at least the opportunity to bid higher for these assets and 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 put another offer in front of Rupert Murdoch, who is never shy of money. So, let's move on to the deal of the day, and that is Conagra, which has reached a deal to buy Pinnacle Foods for just under eleven billion in cash and stock. That assumes the debt. I mean, you're you're basically seeing two numbers. Today, eight eight point one billion for the deal, but when you throw in the debt, it, it gets it up to just under eleven billion. And in terms of you know, I mean, these are two huge conglomerates. Um, the result here would be the second largest frozen food company in the United States. One way to think about this is just if you're a consumer and you're going down the frozen food aisle, it's the company that owns Healthy Choice yep. is buying the company that owns Bird's Eye. Right. Exactly. That's that's really the matter. Among other brands. Yes. Yeah, among other brands too, Chris. I mean, this is just more evidence that the consumer packaged good companies, CPG companies, are under uh, more and more pressure to try to boost sales growth any way they can. I mean, these are, like you mentioned, um, these are multi-billion-dollar organizations. They do multi-billion dollars in sales. Um, their their brands are not the freshest thing in the world. And there's been some criticism around CPG companies that they are not refreshing their brands. Um, the power of food brands are not what they once were. Um, in, in my opinion, and I think we've um, we've seen that over the, over the years with just some of these big, large companies, whether it's Kraft or others, um, just kind of struggle to be able to grow the top line. So, consolidating, making acquisitions <clears throat> in this case, like you mentioned, Conagra, Conagra which generates eight hundred north of eight hundred million dollars in profits every year, and they spend a lot of money buying back stock, and they pay a little dividend, so they have the capital to put to use. Um, going after a company like Pinnacle. Foods, which is about half the size, leveraging up the balance sheet a little bit more as they will have to do, but they can probably afford it. It's just not the fastest growing business. In my mind, those businesses are going to be continue to be under pressure from the likes of an Amazon Whole Foods having much more pricing power than what these companies may have had in the past with those brands not being quite as valuable. And we're seeing that in the marketplace. The valuations just aren't all that um, exciting. And as you said, ConAgra has been a good operator and they do. Turn out those profits every year. 
shares of ConAgra are down about eight percent on this news, and I'm wondering is that is that a sign that people think they're paying too much for Pinnacle, or is it as as you indicated a sign of this this is about the toughest industry going right now? I think it's probably the latter. The price for Pinnacle is not it's not I wouldn't say it's a steal. It's not it's not exorbitant or exorbitant. Uh, my mind just that this this space is just in a tough spot right now. It's much more of a value paradise, and and you're gonna get a little bit of dividend yield from some of these companies. You'll get them buying back stock. You'll get a few um, growth uh, numbers at the top line. You know, maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of of um, GDP, maybe a little bit higher, and then they can kind of wring out profits and drive um, cash flows and drive profits for investors and buy back stock and and pay those dividends. Um, there are some investors who may like that. Personally, in a world that it now has the S and P is twenty six percent technology driven, that will only increase over time. In my mind, looking out the next three to five years, these CPG companies are just going to have higher, higher and higher hurdles to be able to compete against a world that is moving less and less in their favor, and the competitive pressures from um, the supermarket space, from consumer, consumer, other consumer companies, um, upstart companies that are coming aggressively. Against them, it's just that the, the 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 headwinds facing them are a little stiffer now than they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Well, and one little piece of that of how it's a little bit more challenging now is, look, you go back twenty years. One of the arguments in favor of these types of companies, whether we're talking about ConAgra uh, or Frito, you know, Pepsi, Frito Lay, that sort of thing, was their ability. To negotiate shelf space right. with the grocery stores, and so you could look at this deal and say, "Oh my gosh!" When it comes to the frozen food aisle, this combination of ConAgra and Pinnacle Foods is going to have you know tremendous leverage against the grocery stores. That's that's just I mean it's an yeah. advantage. It's just less important than it used to be. It is, and and with online sales, I mean you just look at the competitive space. Much like we're seeing in the airline industry, when players and companies are becoming much more rational. Same with the with the um, grocer market, whether it's Wegmans. Um, one of the best operators out there, or Whole Foods and um, Amazon, the Am- now Amazon, um, running a, 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 a retail operation and being extremely price conscious. And um, as we all know, going against um, Jeff Bezos on the pricing level doesn't work out very well for many people. So um, these companies, I think, are just seeing these. Uh, these the market dynamics and trying to figure out how can they best compete in a world of of um, the competitive pressures as well as trying to figure out okay well we have a nice little uh, not not little multi billion dollar business that generates nice profits how do we maintain those profits and how do we invest those into shareholders and they they have done that a little bit but like you mentioned before or today the stock price is down the stock price of the last three years for both these companies is not all that exciting so investors have gotten a little bit of dividend yield but they really haven't gotten a lot of a lot of capital appreciation in my mind I think that will just be harder and harder to come by in the future. Yesterday afternoon, I taped an interview with David Gardner for Motley Fool Money. That's going to run this weekend. And one of the things we talked about was, uh, and there'll be there'll be more of of this topic coming uh, on podcasts on Fool.com, etc. Uh, the 25th anniversary of the Motley Fool. Yeah. Um, you are one of the few people at this company who who precedes me <laughs> um, in terms of uh, tenure here at the Fool because you were here uh, when I joined the company back in. 19, good Lord, I almost gave the wrong name, 1997. Um, 
What stands out in your mind when you think about 25 years? Because I've been asked this question by a few people, and and I have a little bit of trouble sort of wrapping my head around it because there are so many things that we've gone through. Right. There are so many changes that we've seen as investors. um, So many positive changes for investors. Um, But I'm curious when you, to the extent that you get nostalgic and think about the last 25 years of this company, what goes through your mind? Well, I will say, um, besides as you mentioned, how how just so many millions and millions of people, whether it's through our services or whether it's through our website, our podcasts, books, speeches, talks, um, member events that we've been able to reach and really impact. Um, uh, Two things mostly. So that 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 seriously is is um, what I'm most. I'm proud of, but the way that we've gone about doing that in two, uh, I think, important ways. One is just being a different voice in the market, um, speaking for individual investors when there was no individual investors or very few other spots that were really truly champion individual investors, um, and trying to focus them in a different way of about investing. Teaching them about the benefits of long-term tax advantage business-focused investing, which we've done, I think, better than almost anybody else out there. And certainly, when we look at our stock returns. David and Tom and and many of us have have rung up over the years. I think that 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 is um, justified, and we've we've demonstrated the capability to to go against the grain, and beat the market and invest in a fun, um, foolish manner, as we as we say here. So I think just really trying to bring a different voice to the market is important. And second of all, as you mentioned earlier, just the changing landscape for individual investors. I mean, when you and I joined. Trying to even get on conference calls for some of these companies was impossible. <laughs> right, like literally, you could not get on board, um, and the access to information is not nearly what it was now. And really, the Motley Fool was on the vanguard of that and pushing that and and trying to encourage the use of discount brokers. When back in the day, when you had Merrill Lynch and the rest of the gang. Really, um, just criticizing the internet, criticizing the use of discount brokers, and um, calling it basically a threat to democracy. Yes, um, uh, we were a voice out there. Um, you know, as the Economist calls us, a beacon out there for individual investors. I think that's important. I think we still there are still there are a lot more voices out there, and there's a lot more um, distributed content out there um, for good and for bad. Uh, and I think we 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 with others, but continue to support the individual investor as well as anybody, and support the kind of Investing that we do is really special, and it's, it's probably the um, the, the um, most important um, spirit I feel with the alignment around the Motley Fool. You know, it's been so long um, that some of the changes that have taken place over the last twenty five years uh, are changes that, um, when I talk about them with either with sort of my older children or just you know younger people who work here at the office. Um, they sort of do a double take. They, you know, it's just sort of like, a, well, why would that be? So things like when when we started working at the Motley Fool, um, uh, stocks were in fractions. So, so it was, you know, it's like, well, well, wait, why would you? Why would it be twenty five and a quarter a share? Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be down to the penny? You know, that sort of thing. And as you said, the conference calls, just the, you know, the thing, and that's something that we take for granted now. But that was that was a thing that that so many companies were pushing against, and some of the companies that we really love were pushing against that, and then, you know. Saw the error of their ways and said, "Yeah, okay, we'll we'll open up our conference calls and and anyone can have access to this information." And and, and there's there's still, I mean, patting ourselves on the back aside, there's still so much more to to go. Like the individual investors out there, um, we know really since the financial crisis, individual investors have have not been investing in equities and with the. 
explosion of ETFs and um, so-called efficient market theory and and um, funds out there, uh, many of which un- underperform. Um, just the the um, the individual investor who is truly trying to find great businesses and buy and hold them for many years and do it in a in a, in a, in a diversified way and have a lot of fun with that. Like we we are still a minority out there, and and I know many of us listening to this and and uh, today are, are are part of that minority and and hopefully vocal about it because uh, we think it's a it's the best way to invest um, and to to create capital and and um, wealth for for individuals um, <clears throat> over over many years, and it's a lot of fun just. Kind of getting to know businesses and investing in businesses that we follow and love. Andy Krause, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm.